Welcome to another edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live right here on Giants.com. It's all presented by Coors Light. My name is John Schmelk. Joining me is Paul Dettino. The phone number is 201-939-4513. Hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter. If you prefer to get in touch with us that way, we can. We certainly will get to your tweets over the course of the show. OTA week number two of, I guess, week two of a four-week Phase three of the offseason program. Yeah. Uh, the Giants messed with their schedule a little bit this year, Paul. So instead of having the mandatory minicamp as the last thing on the schedule, mm-hmm. um, which is three days of basically OTAs, except they're mandatory and not voluntary. There's no <laughs> difference. The true. mandatory portion of the offseason program, which is mandatory minicamp, will be next week, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Then you'll have four OTAs the final week. Before the guys skedaddle for about six weeks. Yes. Then we'll see him that final week of July when they come back for training camp. John, the one guy who has stood out for me consistently. I didn't even ask that question, but go right ahead. It's okay. Well, I want to go there because I think think it's important because, remember, you're at every practice. The media does not have access to every practice. Yeah, I can actually tell you what happened today, too, but you go ahead first. Okay, and and the reason I want to bring this up is because I believe – that Sam Beal has gotten plaudits whenever the media has been around. You've seen every one of the practices. I've seen probably somewhere in the middle because I've been around doing Big Blue Kickoff Live, and it does give me the chance to, to get a glance at some of what's going on. I, I can't say enough about him right now in terms of all of the newcomers, uh, rookies and veterans included. Sam Beal, to me, has consistently been the one new face that has just stood out time after time after time. All right, I'll throw two couple things out about that. One, I've been impressed by him too. Number two, I don't watch him every play. So when the ball doesn't go in his direction, I'm not sure what's happening over there. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So I can't judge that. Have I seen many passes completed on him? No. I also have seen him get flagged for penalties, which may be something you can't tell from your vantage point, which is tough. Right. So he has been flagged a few times on some of the plays. You're like, oh, that's a really nice play. A lot of times there's some penalties on those plays. Yeah, too. I'm He's down been, behind the end yeah, zone and John's on the far side. And, and this is what I, I try to tell people when they call into the show, and it's not the media's fault. It's simply their viewing angle. It's tough to see a lot of the stuff that's going yeah. on. It makes it very, very difficult. And a lot of those plays, there are flags on those plays, but he's sticky. He's long. Um, he knows what he's doing. His side to side's pretty good. I would say I'm encouraged by what I've seen. He anticipates well, too, John. Look, I think he's been a very good player. And based on the fact, like if you told me he was a rookie third-round pick, I'd say, yeah, he's playing really, really well. Yeah, so, of course, once they get the pads on and then they play preseason games, we'll learn a lot more. The point is, his first impression is good. Absolutely. And look, at a guy coming off an injury like that, who we really didn't have much exposure to at all last year, you know, he's one of the guys I was really interested in seeing. I think we did a, a factor fiction or cover three before OTAs. You know, who was the most the guy you were excited to see? And he was one of the guys on my list because he's a guy that we simply didn't see a lot. And the way the Giants have constructed their roster, it's going to be essential for some of those young guys in the defensive backfield to step up and play really well. And I think DeAndre Baker's been really good, too. I think Baker's been good. Love was I really think, good yesterday. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think he, I've seen a couple more passes caught on him than the other guys, but I also think it's really tough for a rookie slot corner, mm-hmm. too, against some of these guys he's going up against. Him and Grant Haley have rotated a little bit right. for the first and second team for that nickel slot spot. Uh, DeAndre Baker moved 
to the first team yesterday when Janoris Jenkins wasn't at practice, but he's been with the twos otherwise. I think he's done a really nice job too. Uh, Antoine Buffet hasn't made, he had one interception off a drop pass the other day. Yesterday. Yeah. yeah. Not a great play. The Bulls just happened to no, go to him. It happens. But he was there. Yeah, exactly. I think he's been good. I think Jabril Peppers and Evan Ingram have some really fun battles. And, you know, you won't have a tougher cover when he gets into regular games than what he has with Evan Ingram in practice. So I've been encouraged by what I've seen from the secondary, and I will hesitate to pass judgment on the pass rush. Because when the offensive line doesn't have pads on and they can't hit. <laughs> I know. No, I mean, Paul, we've seen it before. We've seen there's, we've seen Clint Sintom look really good in the spring. There's nothing to see We've there. seen Demontre Moore look really good in the spring. And... You, you, no, you, nothing meaningful. If they're in the backfield, that's great, but you, you can't judge off of that. No, I totally concur with that. And, and I will say this. Peppers had a play yesterday, and it was to your sideline, where he wound up trailing the, 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 the coverage guy all the way across the field to your, to your sideline where you were standing. Okay. And he went all the way to the boundary and, and broke up the mm-hmm. play right on the boundary. Yeah, that was against Evan Ingram, I think. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah. It was a hell of a play. But, but to me, that said, hmm, athleticism, coverage skills, uh, can stay with a guy who we know is a good route runner. Now, again, I, I get it. No pads. You know, pads slow you down. They weight you down. You know, it's physicality. A, it does for the offense, though, too. But, yeah, but... The fact that he was able to do that and he was all over him like glue was a really good sign for me. Yeah, and look, Jabril Peppers has the speed to cover anybody. But the question is the technique, the change of direction. I think that's the stuff he's gotten better at over his time in the NFL. He still has some work to do. I think so, John. I a give, little better than advertised to this point. For example, well, I was I was very bullish on him in terms of coverage. What I saw on tape, I was encouraged by. I did not understand why Cleveland took him off the field as much as they did last year. You know, that's Greg Williams. You can't figure anything Greg no, Williams does. No, um, But, you know, he's somebody that if you simply line up the physical profile, again, this is just talking as athletes of Jabril Peppers versus the physical profile of Landon Collins, you think Peppers probably has the better athletic traits to cover. The question is whether or not he can actually take those athletic traits. Because a lot of guys have athletic traits to cover, but they still can't cover. Can he take those athletic traits and become a good coverage player? Look, it's year three for him. This is it. This is when you've got to come out and show exactly what you can be. You can still improve, but this is when, all right, this is the player I'm going to be. Breakout and I'm going to season, build from here. Year Correct. three. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I thought one thing that was said yesterday uh, by Bethay at his media avail was was very significant to me. You remember last year how many times it looked like Collins and Riley were running in different directions well, and they were leaving gaping holes in the middle of the secondary? Yeah, and Riley just took some bad angles okay. and missed a lot of tackles. Without question. Yeah. Okay? Well, when I asked Bethay yesterday specifically about the fact that you and Peppers have both played free and strong yeah, that safety, was a good question. How, mm-hmm. does, how does that help you know your symmetry? And... He was like, oh, yeah, because we, we know what the other guy's thinking because we played his position. I think, I think that in itself means those guys will be on the same page more. And regardless of what you think about Bethay being 34 years old and perhaps slowing down some over the years, the mental part of the game should be dramatically improved between those two guys. Yeah, he might get beat physically. Sometimes, but he should always be in the right place, which yeah. is which is important to take the right angles. Whether or not he can close and make the play, we'll see. But the the mental part should be good. 
Uh, a couple other notes. The one other thing that I found was really interesting yesterday during media veils. I don't see if anything else jumped out to you while we were out there. Mm-hmm. Um, the one that I'll touch on first, Paul Schwartz was, I believe it was Bethay at the podium. And I thought he asked him a great question. And he said, you know, did you have a chance to go back in and watch the Giants defense last year? And he's like, oh, yeah, I went back. I wanted yes. to see what they did. And he goes, well, did that look like a James Betcher defense? And Bethay didn't flat out and say no, but he did say, well, you know, sometimes you can't make the calls you want to make based on the people that you have on the field, which was a nice way of him saying, no, it did not look like a James Betcher defense, which is what we <laughs> talked about earlier in the offseason, that his aggressiveness, his play calling, in my opinion, was probably affected by the personnel he was able to trot out there. We discussed Betcher's tendencies for months before he actually got to put his team on the field in September. One of the blitz heaviest guys in the league. And what happened, John? He didn't blitz a whole lot. Could, couldn't <laughs> do a lot of what he wanted to do. And then we were left saying, well, okay, this doesn't look quite right. It's not what we thought. And this and that's not happening. And, well, now he's got to do this because he doesn't have that. Uh, I don't want to say it's unfair because life is unfair. Okay? And you have to deal with the cards that you're dealt. But last year... He didn't have a full deck to do everything that it is that he wants to do. Well, and by the way, the but, fact that he didn't try to force it's a good thing. It I shows agree. that the coach is able to adjust to his personnel. Well, and, and that's my point is that he knew he didn't have it, so he didn't try to force feed it. And at the same time, his resume with his previous years as a D.C. with the Cardinals, which were very productive, top 10 defenses, I think we said three years in a row, correct? Yes. Okay. That that gives me time to pause and say, or cause for pause, to say, okay, you know what? He really does need to almost get a mulligan last year, and let's see what he does when they give him a better hand of cards, and let's see if he can, in fact, implement most of the things that he wanted to do, if not all, with the Cardinals, and get something close to similar results. Yeah, I don't know if I have to give him a mulligan. I think you just say, all right, that's what it was, and now you see what he can really do. Do you pass judgment off of last year? No, and I guess, yeah. That's what I mean. Yeah, yeah, I guess you're right then. It is a mulligan. So, yeah, I agree. Um, One other thing I thought was interesting, I talked to Alex Tanney a little bit off to the side. They had all the quarterbacks paraded out yesterday except for Eli Manning. Right. And, And I asked Tanney... As somebody that learned this offense for the first time last year, and then I preface it by saying I know it's different because you've been in the NFL a while, how have you been able to help Daniel Jones, you know, learn the offense? And he goes, good. you know, that that's a good question. He said, look, and I kind of went through it. I, I, you know, you, you show him, you know, how to go about certain things, the language, and that's what I've helped him with. And, then, you know, he's coming along. I said, well, can you tell that when he goes home at night and then comes back, the next day that he's working on stuff at home and that he you know, is further along. And he goes, yeah, you can see that he is figuring things out and, and he's working on the right things and, and taking stuff home and working at home, not just in the facility. So I thought that was an interesting question. Everyone's obsessed with Eli mentoring the kid when I think Tanny's going to have just as big yeah. an effect on him as anybody else. And Tanny gave some pretty good answers. I was there. Patricia Trainer was there. Who's asking the first set of questions? I think maybe it was Tom Rock. And, you know, he gave us some good answers in terms of how he's trying to help Kyle along in the offense with the language and just kind of figuring out, you know, even things as simple as, like, 
how do you take notes the right way? Things like that. And I thought it was. I thought. The, I, th- I thought the answers were interesting. And it is a very good point you raised, John. Lance also mentioned it the other day that he was curious to see how much Tanny will help him. So yes, I absolutely concur with that angle. And I think what really becomes a, a very intriguing question, and we've already had fans who were, were kind of hot about this the other day on the show, practically demanding that Jones is the number two guy week one opening day. Now, I don't think we had this conversation. I no, think, we, I, I think we did briefly. Did we? Mm-hmm. Where, where I think if it happens in October, by the time he's elevated to number two, great. If it happens before that, it's gravy. If he progresses to the point where they really believe he can be the number two guy and run the offense efficiently if necessary, and is, and is that guy week one, God bless him. That's wonderful. I'm not against that, folks. Believe me, I'm not. But... To realistically expect that to be the case out of the gate, I think is a lot to ask. He may wind up accelerating his own development that he can do it. But if he's not the number two until October, don't don't raise a yellow flag. I agree, but I will say this, and it's just OTAs. He seems to be on the fast track. <laughs> he is, from week one to week two, his work with the second team has probably doubled. He's 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 doing he did more and more yesterday and today with the, like in the first week, folks, he would basically get four plays in one session and another play in another session with the twos. And that was just kind of five plays during each session. Right now, it's almost half and half him and Tanny, give yeah. or take, he's, depending on the day. So he's getting more and more <laughs> of the work. And I think that shows that the coaches are, are getting confident in him. But I will say this. I'll give you my little Daniel Jones take on on what I've seen so far, because I think it has changed. A little bit. Last week, very impressed. Physically, I have zero worries about the kid. Threw in the wind, arm strength good. In the rain, too. In the rain as well. Um, he's making his best throws have been deep outs, which is the throw you're worried about him throwing. Those have been some of his best throws. Right. But this week, I'm seeing something I didn't see last week. And, you know, every year when you get a rookie quarterback in here, you get that point sometime in the middle of the spring where it looks like they're swimming mentally a little bit. Okay. And things are going a little bit too fast for him. What'd you see today? I, I've seen him be late on a couple things, and I wrote it in my report uh, during the two-minute drill. Threw a pass right into the chest of linebacker Mark McLaurin. Did he? That would have went. For, that was an interception. Got called back for a penalty. Okay. And then three plays later, over the middle, Michael Thomas read it right in the chest. He dropped it, but it would have been an interception. And I okay. saw late last week a couple late passes. I thought on posts, and he was late on an outside throw too. I think right now. As they put more and more on the plate, and that's what kind of Coach Shermer and Daniel Jones both talked about yesterday, Mm -hmm. that I think right now it's going a little bit fast for him. And this is not something to be worried about, folks. It happens with every rookie quarterback. It happens with, you know, the top picks in the draft, which Jones obviously is a top 10 pick. So Mm -hmm. it's nothing to worry about. But the track of progression for these young quarterbacks is never a straight line, right? You're going to have dips and peaks and valleys and peaks and valleys. And I think... As he gets getting more and more in the offense, I think he just has to calm down a little bit, get everything ingested, and he'll be good to go. But I think right now things are a little bit quick. I think uh, I think the one thing that that I'm really impressed with, and we knew this going in because of what we saw at the combine. No matter what's happening with him on the field, and we know it's a bear for him to learn as much as he's had to learn in the first couple of weeks. I, I mean, let's not pull any punches on this. What they're giving him is a lot. He has not shown any inclinations 
in terms of his personality that he's unsure of himself, that he is that he is overwhelmed by it, that he's feeling the pressure by it. Now, again, you say there's maybe some reactions on the field that that he shows like he's a rookie a little bit. At oh times. yeah, yeah. I don't mean like emotional reactions. I just mean in terms of how he's how he's processing information yeah, and, and making that's those quick decisions. On the, on the field sometimes, Correct, yeah. and, and we know that those growing pains are always going to happen. Sure. What I'm saying is, off the field, his poise seems to be unwavering. Yeah, I mean. But I think, yeah. He really is. He checks every box He really way. is Manning brother number four. I know, I, he really is. I, I, I'm I, sorry. I, I know you hate, do. I, I know it. you don't like but that. But you're not wrong. That's why I hate it so much. I haven't seen him blink I, I once. I know. I know. I know. Even the way he, like I had somebody tweet me yesterday. He goes, did, did, uh, did he go to the Eli Manning school of addressing the media with all his mm, uhs, ahums, mms, he, in between it, his answers? His cadence is the it, same it, when it, he it, talks. It's the Huckleberry Finn it's, school of answers. crazy. And. And, and 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 I mean that in a very positive sense. No, I know you do. It's easy for do. a guy who may start to feel a tad unsure of himself as he's learning the ropes as a rookie to be a tad unraveled, you know, on the side. Right. He's not. I'll say one other thing too, real quick, and this, and then we'll get to your calls. And, I, and at some point, I'll I'll talk about what I saw in, at OTAs today. I already gave you a couple little nuggets. And I'll give okay. you a couple more. I have a guy who's. Goes to the same daycare as I do. I see him usually when I drop my kid off in the morning. Another okay. parent. He's a Giants season ticket holder. So he tries to... I, I, when I go to pick up my kid, I'm wearing my Giants polo. So he kind of figured it out. <laughs> okay. I never try to tell people because I, then you get all the questions. So he's always trying to like pepper me. Pepper me. How's he look? How's Don't he call how's the he show. Going? How's it going? How's he doing? And the question he asked, he goes, John, do you think if they knew they were going to draft Daniel Jones that they would have you know, given Eli that signing bonus and kept him around another year. And I said, look, I got to be honest. I think no matter, and this was my legit answer for him, no matter who they would have drafted with their first round pick this year, they liked the idea of that person sitting behind Eli Manning. Yeah. And that was what they wanted to do, regardless of who they picked. And I think that's what they prefer. How long he sits behind them, who knows? We'll see. Mm-hmm. But... And I talked about him swimming a little bit because things go fast for a rookie sometimes. Well, that's what you're seeing, and that's why you want to have the ability to put him behind them. I mean, guys, look, Josh Allen, he was not good as a thrower last year. He ran the ball real well, didn't throw it well. Lamar Jackson was a mess. Sam Darnold wasn't good either. And you know I me, mean? I love Sam Darnold. He wasn't good. Josh no. Rosen, not good. No. Not good. Rookie quarterbacks, it's rare. I don't know what... Um, yeah, Mayfield caught fire. Mid, look, Mayfield's the exception to the rule. He was great. I have no idea how good Patrick Mahomes would have been if he played as a rookie. I know, None he, was of us gra- do. I know he was great as a sophomore. None of us do. Deshaun Watson was pretty good in yeah. the six or seven games he played as a rookie. Yeah, but it but, was a limited sample size. Correct. Who knows when teams started figuring out what he was doing, if that would have changed. So, guys, it's okay. Let it happen. Let it happen organically. But if you made me bet right now who's the number two quarterback opening day, I'm betting Jones. Who do you bet? Now he has his foot on the gas pedal. I'm still going to say right now I'm holding my horses back a little bit. I'm going to wait a few weeks before okay. that happens. Okay, so you're so so you're still on Tanny for that. I'm still on Tanny right okay. now. All right, let's do it. 201-939-4513. I'll get to some of my practice notes as we go along in the show. Uh, appreciate it, guys. We do have one open line if you want to try to get in, and we will get to your tweets at hashtag Giants Chat. Let's go to Will in Houston to lead us off. Hey, Will. Hey, guys. How are you today? We're good, Will. What's up? A uh, couple of things. One thing, just kind of, uh, I don't want to call it a rant, just something I want to get off my chest. Sure. Can have <laughs> okay. Then, then then, we can have an intelligent football conversation, I promise. Okay, rant um, away. <laughs> one, 
What is the over-under on some of the local beat guys actually re uh, reporting and tweeting when Eli throws good passes and has good practices rather than, and I quote, uh, throwing to no one in particular or throwing out of bounds without a receiver in the zip code? Uh, look, guys are going to report what they see. I'm not going to take shots at anybody individually. Um, has Eli had a couple bad throws during camp? Absolutely. Has Eli had some really good throws during camp? Absolutely. Um, sometimes he makes a good throw. Sometimes he doesn't. And look, you have to just... Look, here, here's what I'll say. Everything that happens in OTAs, take it with a grain of salt. It's not that important. Especially for a veteran like Eli Manning, it's just not. It's just not that important. And the coaches aren't going to make any decisions on Eli Manning based on what happens in an unpadded OTA in May. It's just not that important. Um, so read everything, and you can decide what's important to you and what's not. I'll go a little further with that, though, because I do believe what the coaches are looking for from Eli is, is physically. They want to know what kind of shape he's in. They want to know if his arms still look sharp and fresh. And those things are important. But the performance itself, the, the completions, the incompletions, that's not so much a big deal. They just want to see that the arm still has the zip. He can still spin it. He can still get it out there with the proper velocity, get the distance that he needs to get. That stuff you still want to see because at some point in time, every pro quarterback is going to start losing something out of his arm. Eli really has not lost anything yet. No, I, I think his arm's fine. You know, so I do think that's what they're looking at. Now, as far as what, what the newspaper folks are looking at, just remember something. Odell Beckham Jr. is not on this team anymore. Saquon Barkley is as Derek Jeter-like vanilla as they come. And you can't really write about running backs during unpadded practices. Correct. So what are they going to do to get their clicks? What are they going to do to draw attention to themselves? And by the way, that's what the editors want them to do. Yes, that's also true. They're going to go after the quarterback. And so you will see ad infinitum. I mean, look, do you <laughs> now, know? Well, this is great. You had your rant. Now Paul's going to have his rant. I'm go having ahead. mine. I'm having mine. <laughs> yes. Because, you know, you I know what? I, I, I asked, I asked uh, John and no, some, of our, I asked some of our other, uh, the other folks around here. I said, you know what? When's the next writer going to ask uh, Coach Pat Shermer if Eli Manning helps Daniel Jones blow his nose? Because that's how ridiculous and how repetitive these questions have gotten. Every single media avail that Coach Pat Shermer has had since the draft has been loaded, loaded with the majority of questions about Eli Manning and Daniel Jones. Am I right or wrong, John? It's been a lot. Every single media avail. Every single one. It's a joke. But that's also because it's the easy target, and when you need clicks, you go right to the quarterback. You know, this team doesn't have any other headline grabbers who are going to give them hot takes and hot clicks. Like I said, Saquon is classy and, and boring, you know, and that's not meant to be a disrespectful comment. No. But Saquon Barkley is so Derek Jeter-like, he's not going to give you any hot clicks. Although I believe somebody yesterday tried to force a hot click on him about the uh, Le'Veon Bell comment oh, when yeah. he said it wasn't good that the guy wasn't around. Uh, Saquon, if you read the whole context of the quote, or if you saw the video of the quote, you would see he was not being overly critical and trying to cause a problem. But, of course, 
We have Who wrote scribes. That? I missed that one. Um, not okay. naming names. Right, I don't need to. I didn't see it. Okay. You folks out there understand what we're talking about because you got to read this garbage every day. <laughs> I get it. I get it. Sorry, I didn't mean to open Pandora's box. <laughs> That's okay, box. Will. Um, well, you started it, my man. <laughs> it's, a pe- right. it's a pet peeve of mine. I'm not trying to throw anybody under the bus. Or, you know, it's just, it honestly probably bothers me more than it bothers Eli, but... That's another day. It, you know what? I'm glad it bothers you because it shows you're an intelligent fan. Because it's insulting to you to be served slop every day. You shouldn't be happy I mean, with that. Speaking of speaking of uh, intelligent fan, let me see if I can uh, keep up with that here for a second and talk about the offense with you for a moment. Sure. Um, what what I want to talk about is the offensive balance, and a lot of times that gets looked at within a bubble of just run versus pass 50 50 doesn't look at personnel packages or anything like that and what i want to kind of dig into a little bit and i think you'll appreciate this paul is uh how the offensive line is going to play a very positive role in the offensive balance this year Mm -hmm. and that's within the different personnel packages uh when you look at uh how many times saquon faced the seven man or more box it was three quarters of the time which i think is just criminal it's one of the highest in the league and a lot of that is because when he had to run the ball, it had to be in a 12 personnel to accommodate the poor offensive line. Uh, and we actually ran the ball. When we were in a 12 personnel, the run percentage was close to 70% of the time. And versus in the 11 personnel, we passed the ball 70% of the time. So the defense knows what's going to happen based off of the personnel that's on the field. When we're in a 12 personnel, right. they have a very good idea that we're going to run the ball when we're in 11. They have a very good day. We're going to pass the ball. Well, well honestly, real quick, line, Will, I, I would bet, based on the numbers I saw end of last year, I think those numbers became far less predictable in the second half of the year okay. when they ran a lot of play action no at 12. No question. Agreed. Agreed. And, again, because the offensive line got better and yes. now it's getting even better yes. this year, we'll be able to see a little bit more of a balance of, hey, we can run the ball in 11 personnel more because our offensive line is better. Sure. And then by uh, being able to pass the ball in 12 personnel is extremely beneficial too because then the linebackers want to you know bite up off of a play action fake and then you get someone like you know ingram running that stick nod route he does so great where he fakes the block and kind of leaks into that cover two seam along the sideline and you know just being unpredictable and having the defense have to guess what's going to happen rather than know based off of our personnel that all is completely based off of an improved offensive line. And I'm so excited to see it this year. That's all I got. Appreciate well, well hold on a second. I want to make you happier, okay? I really yep. do want to make you happier. I talked to a veteran offensive lineman yesterday, and I specifically addressed this particular philosophy to him. But I also said to him, you know you've got a lot of young pups on defense, and there are going to be times where they're scrambling out there, and they may make mistakes, and it may cost you some points. But I think you have an offense who may be able to overcome those situations. And I said even more important, you may have an offense that can dictate and control the tempo and control the clock and even keep those guys off the field in dangerous situations. And he said, that's exactly right. We expect to control the tempo of the games this year, which we hadn't been able to do in the past. That all plays into what you're talking about. It starts with the offensive line. It always will. And anybody who knows anything about this game understands that. Agreed. I'm going to make one more point, and it actually kills me to say it. I think this is actually talked about between you and Lance, both Paul. I think our offense is going to look very similar to the Cowboys' offense over the past couple of years. 
And that's a good thing. The offensive, uh, the offense, the Cowboys has been very good. Now we have a good offensive line. I think it's going to look very similar. So I appreciate you guys taking my call. I'm going to let you go for that. Thank you. you. Well, yeah, that was in the conversation Paul and I had yeah. at, at one of the ends of one of our shows last week. We did. We did. 201-939-4513. It's all presented by Coors Light. Let's go to Tim in Jackson, New Jersey. He's up next. Tim? Hi. How Hi. are you? Hi, Tim. Hello. Okay. I got a question. On August 31st, the Giants will trade Eli Manning, a 2020 first-round pick, and a 2021 conditional seventh-round pick to the Cardinals exchange for Chandler Jones and a 2020 sixth-round pick and trade B.J. Goodson, a 2020 second-round pick and a 2021 third-round pick to the Packers exchange for Devontae Adams and a 2020 fourth-round pick. Tim, I think you're getting too clever by half, and, and thanks for the call. I appreciate it. One, the Packers are, are not trading Devontae Adams, first and foremost. And why would the Cardinals want Eli Manning? I don't have an answer for you. Yeah, so good attempt, but pass. Let's go to Charlie in Portland, Maine. Charlie, what's up? Hey, Paul. Hey, John. Hi, Charlie. Charlie. How are you? How was your Memorial Day weekend, Charlie? Did you get out there and do a little barbecue, and what did you do? No, I didn't do it. was raining. No, actually, it was a good weekend. It was it was fine. No, I didn't do any barbecuing, but we uh, went out to dinner, met some friends. We had, It was a great time. It was, it was like 70 here. Like, that was the first 70 we've had since last September, so it was very nice. Well, I got a question stuff. for you. So do you, do you go, like, buy your friends from overseas and have them shipped in? How does that work for you? <laughs> no, no, no. It's unbelievable the people that drive past my house and they, and they just have to stop and see the shrine of Will Beatty and they have to <laughs> oh, do, you, do you charge them for that too? A little admission to go oh, with the course, deal? Of course. That's how I'm going to get to New York to see a game. Oh, <laughs> man. Hey, speaking of uh, offensive linemen, there is somebody available, Mr. Davis. Bring him in for a workout. It won't harm anything. It won't hurt anybody just to see what he's got. I can't believe I'm going to say this. Charlie, I would investigate it. Wait, who, yeah. who, who are we talking about here? Anthony Davis, the Davis. 49ers tackle, uh, has come out of retirement. He filed his papers. The and former the 40- Rutgers guy? Yes. Okay. And the 49ers have released him, him at his own yeah. request. He, he wants to come back and does not want to play there. He's a Jersey guy, has actually yeah. always wanted to play for the Giants. Uh, Rutgers. Here's what I would do, Charlie. I, I would make some phone calls to find out what, what his medical is. I would also probably wish to talk to him as well as some other people on the background check to see exactly where his mentality is at. Because this is the second time now that he has retired and come back from concussions, right? Right, right. And, and, and injuries. So before I even got to the point where I physically brought him into the building... I would need to do some background investigation and find out from people who know him, from people who've been around him. I would need to make some phone calls. And once once I found out that, all right, maybe there's something here, then I would reach out and say, okay, let's bring him in for an interview and a workout and see what's going on. I would be leery, but I would absolutely do my due diligence. So in that regard, I concur. 
Thank you, Paul, because I agree. It's no harm in, in you know, seeing no what he's got, seeing where he's at. That's just like I'm you fine said. with it. I'm, Paul, Charlie, I, I am also okay with that. This is not somebody that's been lingering on the street that nobody has wanted for years at a time like your other favorite pet cat. So <laughs> I, I would be okay rolling the dice on something and like that. And by this. the way, Davis's resume when he played is pretty good. good. Sure. Yeah. Now, now you got to hope he really wants want, to play, too. You guys were talking about like the uh, said, secondary, right? Investigate. You know how good the secondary looked? Well, I wish Odell was here because I don't know if our secondary would look as good as it does with not a. Well, Charlie, here's like the funny him. thing: if Odell's on the roster, he still wouldn't be a practice anyway. So what's the? T- <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, you know what, Charlie? Let me be very fair about this, though, because we have watched this, and John's going to second me on this. I, I don't think there's any doubt about it. We have watched at practice, like when William Gay was here, and Sterling Shepard would oh, literally would, dude, fry dude, him. Dude, fry him, yeah, He'd fry, fry him. him. Like an onion ring, um, I mean, it was it was sad to watch, uh, and, and I'm not trying to to disparage him in any way, but you can tell when guys are running routes. That's one of the few things you can tell during these spring drills. When a wide receiver comes off the line and he's he's letting it go and running his route, if the DB literally has no chance to be within three or four yards of him because he either can't move or has no speed. That's a bad sign. Yeah, we haven't had one-on-ones wide receiver DBs since either the first or second OTA. So I'm looking forward to, to getting those guys out there again with more experience and to see how they do in those one-on-ones against the veterans. And by the way, Corey Ballantyne got his first action. Yes, he the did. Team yeah, that was great. That was also good to see. He looks he quick. But anyway, between Shepard, Tate, and Ingram, you got some pretty darn good route runners there. And, you know, if, if they lose the secondary during their one-on-one drills and during practice drills, that's a bad sign. Yeah, and I haven't definitely. seen that happen. Hey, no. hey, let me leave you with this. Remember this. One man's ceiling is another man's floor. So you can contemplate that today. Thank you, Confucius. I appreciate it. <laughs> that's Charlie. Thank you, buddy. Take it easy, pal. 201-939-4513. I got to take one more call, and then I got to run out to get this podcast done with David Deal, Kevin Zeitler, and Will Hernandez, which should be fun. It's going to be very fun. It'll be a little offensive line roundtable. I'm just doing audio. You won't hear me, but you can hear Deal talk to those other two guys, which uh, should be a good time. Get a little offensive line one-on-one from that group. Daniel in Brooklyn's up next. Hey, Daniel. Hey, what's going on, John? What's going on, Paul? What's up, bud? Yeah. John, you said you have uh, Daniel Jones as the number two week win. And, Paul, you said you have Alex Tanney. So where does that leave Kyle Oletta in your, in your guys' mind? I think Kyle Oletta has an uphill battle. I think he has a lot to prove once he gets on the field. and He's not even practicing in full yet because he's recovering from this knee surgery. He's only doing individual stuff and drills. Mm-hmm. He's not even participating in seven-on-sevens or team portion. And, frankly, he could do seven-on-seven. Seven. There's no pass rush. So there's no worry of him getting hurt in those drills so uh until i see him out there daniel and actually working in in team drills i can't really pass judgment on how he looks but look i think that the the coaching staff is more apt to trust a veteran like tanny so lolette is gonna have to prove that he's that much better of a quarterback when they get the practices in the summer to find the roster spot on this team. Can he do it? Absolutely. But he's going to have to win it. It's not going to be given to him. The only thing that works a bit in Lorletta's favor is that uh, he told us yesterday he does expect to be a full go by the time training camp starts. So he will, in all likelihood, be given that opportunity to try to fight his way to stay on the roster. Uh, as opposed to if this thing was expected to linger longer. And then you'd have to worry about him being on pup. 
and that's never a good sign for a guy trying to maintain a spot. Yep. Okay. Uh, and can you guys let me know how uh, Ryan Conley's doing? Because um, at first I didn't like that draft pick, but I'm starting to love it off really? all the things I read. Yeah, you know, the funny thing about Conley is that I did not do a lot of work on him pre-draft. He's been a little bit faster and a little bit more agile and mobile than I thought he would be coming out of Wisconsin. Uh, he showed up in rookie minicamp a lot. I haven't noticed him a, tough t- a ton during OTAs, to be honest with you. I've noticed some of the yeah. other guys more. I, I have not I, noticed him a lot. I agree with John, but when you consider that Tay Davis and, and Nate Stupar are your two backup inside linebackers, you can't necessarily right. be against drafting a young guy oh, who may be able to supplant one of them. Well, I just don't think a lot of people knew anything about him before the Giants took him. I think that's more than that's fair. The but certainly that. comes from a big program that sure. that that values you know tough, hard nosed, blue collar football players. Mm-hmm. Is there a chance that he could possibly start? I'd be surprised by that. Yeah, I mean, who knows what his upside is over the course of time? But this year, I mean, I think he's going to be a core special teams guy. Yeah, I agree. Oh, all right, guys. Thanks. So, sure. Sorry to disappoint you, Daniel. But look, it's well, very tough. He was a fifth round pick, right? Yeah, but let, let's tough for a fifth round pick to start week one. Well, let's say this: uh, he does have speed. We know that We're coming out of Wisconsin. We know he's got speed that will help him on specials. And apparently, he's got some pretty good cover skills for an inside backer. Is what we were told. Right now, I hate to say this because I don't want to jinx him, but B.J. Goodson's had trouble staying on the field. Yeah, well, and Tay Davis will have a chance too. Yeah, and so so could Connolly start a game at some yeah. point during his rookie season? It's not impossible. Nope. Big Blue Kickoff Live is presented by Coors Light. Folks, I got one caller on the line. So Paul's going to do the last 15 or 20 minutes on his own. So he's going to need your help. So get on the line. 201-939-4513. You, you better get those tweets loaded. Too I got them right here. I got them right, right here. So let's go. I'm, I'm going to go to Jeff in Rhode Island. I'm going to say goodbye. Okay. Paul, you slide over. You got and it. And we'll go from there. You got it, John. Jeff, go ahead. Hello, Jeff. You're next on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Hello. Hello. Nice to talk okay. to you. Okay. I couldn't. I uh, can you hear me? Okay. I thought I was. I got. Ah, uh, no. We got you fine. Let me just let me just slide my chair a little bit. So you go ahead and start your question. Okay. No, I get a. Uh, I got a little story for you, Paul. I think you'll enjoy it. Uh, I heard you talking a few days ago about uh, number 70, 71. Bob Lurksema. Bench, bench, bench warmer, Bob. That's him. <laughs> He's a he's a great guy to talk to. I, I I wish every fan. You know what? I'm going to try to get him on the show at some point during the course of of the summer. The problem is I don't know how many other people in our Giants broadcast division know who he is. Yeah. Well, you know, he was a pretty decent player for the Giants. He was. And, um, at one point, uh, this happened uh, in his last season with the Giants, which I believe was uh, sometime during the course of 1971. Yep. Um. I read this in one of my many Giants books uh, I've read over the years. At uh, one point in time, I guess uh, Wellington Mara had a little chat with him and uh, took him aside in the locker room or wherever it was. And um, he wanted Lurtzema to uh, talk to some of the fellas on the team and uh, get their temperature about what they actually thought about Wellington. So uh, Bob did that. And uh, when he came back to report to Mr. Mara and tell him what he had learned, uh, apparently it didn't paint. I don't remember the exact quote because I wouldn't know where to go to find it, but uh, it didn't paint Mr. Mara in a very, very uh, good color as far as he was concerned. And uh, shortly thereafter, and Bob was the union rep for the Giants at that time as well. Mm -hmm. And uh, shortly thereafter, uh, Bob found himself traded 
to the Vikings. So uh, I always thought that was kind of a funny story. And it was like, I don't know if it was the same day, the same afternoon or the day after, but it was very soon after he reported back to Mr. Mara. <laughs> I, will, uh, I will see if I can find something. Here, here it is. It's actually a story in, in the Sports <clears throat> Illustrated Vault, uh, a story that was written back in 1972. It says here uh, he called in Bob Lertzema and asked him to survey uh, what kind of rapport he had with the players and what they thought of the Giants' family image. Lertzema <laughs> went to the players one by one, and as Lertzema recalls, and this is now from a 1972 Sports Illustrated article, yep. he yep. went to see Mara on a Tuesday afternoon at 1 o'clock. Quote, he asked for an honest report, and I gave it to him with both barrels, Lertzema said. I told him, you have no rapport with the players, and the Giant family image is not there. There is no question about it. He was crushed when I told him. I wasn't trying to hurt the guy, but to tell him the truth he asked for. He sat back, maybe asked me a couple of questions, then shook my hand and said, at least I know you gave me an honest answer. And at 4.30, I was on waivers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I oh was my. It. I knew that you'd appreciate that story, and I'm sure you probably knew about it. Well, no, I did not know about it, but, but here, yeah. here's, here's what Mara says. Now, according to the article... Mara says he did not know until after the meeting that the coaches had already decided to release Lertzema, and he oh. did not want to interfere. Oh, well, see, that part I didn't know. I thought uh, I thought he was let go or traded uh, simply because of uh, the report that he gave back to Mr. That Mara. is not That would be erroneous, according to this 1972 yeah. Sports yeah. Illustrated article. Now, Lertzema, you remember, after he was waived, he got picked up by the Vikings and yeah. became yeah. one of the rotating members of the Purple People Eaters. Right, exactly. So he had a lot more success with the Vikings than he did oh, with he, the Giants. He did. Well, yeah, and then after that, yeah. he, he was on his last legs. He got uh, waived or cut by the Vikings, was picked up by the, the Seahawks. It might have even been in the expansion draft. And he right. played his what? last year in yeah. Seattle. Yeah, that's correct. Well, that'd be great if you could get him on the show. And, uh, you know, it's always fun to have a little chit-chat about the old-time Giants because, uh, I don't know, I just I really enjoy that, and I'm sure you do as well. So Yeah, Bob, he, was, he was roommates with Bob Tucker, just as an FYI, because I ran into Lertzema at, uh, at a Giants VIP function, uh, which was, uh, I want to say... Oh, I want to say it was just prior to the last Super Bowl in 2011 when they went out yeah. to uh, play the Patriots. And yeah. and I met Bob and had a really great talk with him. Great guy to talk to. Tremendous storyteller. Real friendly man. Was a huge fan favorite in Minnesota. Still is to this day. Yeah. And, and Bob always said to me, he said, you know, even though I was with the Vikings and everything, and he was bitter at the time when the Giants waved him, oh, he, yeah. he is a giant through and through at heart. And uh, loves, absolutely loves the Giants fan base. Tremendous well, affection. So I, I would love yeah. to get him on the show one night, I re- one day. Yeah. I really would. I got to tell you also, Ed, I have a, uh autographed picture from 1972 from Bob. I wrote him a letter many years ago, and he did that for me. And that nice. uh, hangs on my wall with the rest of my Giants memorabilia I've collected over the years. Very cool. Number 38. A real giant he was. Oh, Bob, Bob Tucker we're talking about now, not Lurtzema. We're talking about yeah, Bob, no, Tucker. Bob Tucker. Yeah. Bob, Bob, Bob yeah. and I actually got to know each other very well over the years, and I can't tell you what a class act he is. I, yeah. I, I, I value that friendship. Bob Tucker, one, one of the true Giants legends, and unfortunately played during a very difficult era. Yeah. Well, thanks for 
for indulging me, buddy. I Anytime, my it. man. Always good to talk old school Giants football. Thank you. Okay, buddy. Be well. 201-939-4513. Uh, Freddie uh, J23 on Twitter says, I know it's only OTAs, but how has R.J. McIntosh been looking so far? Uh, R.J. has worked very hard uh, since he was able to get back on the field after having a, an illness and an ailment last year as a rookie. And as you know, he got some time during December, uh, showed some flashes, has really kind of sculpted his body. You could see he's already matured now into being a second-year pro. I think that McIntosh, and we had a call about him yesterday, and Lance and I were not were not making fun in any way, but I don't know that he's got a, a cemented roster spot. I think he has to earn it. You know, a show-me player, in other words. Because, see, to me, let, let me call up the Giants' unofficial depth chart right now, and it's strictly just a projection because, quite frankly, the team doesn't put out a depth chart, you know, during OTAs. If you consider the Giants will probably keep six defensive linemen, maybe seven, but I think they're going to have to steal a spot for either an extra linebacker or an extra defensive back, maybe even an extra offensive lineman. So I'm going to go six defensive linemen because they want to start out of the base 3-4 and then they're going to play a lot of multiple. Okay, so who's on the team for sure? B.J. Hill, Dalvin Tomlinson, Dexter Lawrence. Those three are locked up. You would think that that Olsen Pierre, who they signed as a free agent from the Cardinals, one of the guys you know that that they brought in, uh, you know, uh, uh, during the offseason, you would think they brought him in because he's getting a roster spot. So that means four defensive line roster spots are pretty much accounted for. So does that mean there's two or three left to be fought for? I'm going to say two for argument's sake. So now you look at uh, Ceresna, the guy they picked up uh, off a uh, uh, free agency from the uh, from the 49ers. Um, you look at McIntosh. You look at um, Jen- John Jenkins, who they had on the team last year after they signed him from the Bears. You look at Alex Jenkins, who was a guy who just made it onto the roster uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, these are guys who are going to fight for two, potentially three spots. And then, of course, you got the seventh-round pick, Chris Slayton out of Syracuse. So, you know, to me, I'm going to say four of the spots are accounted for. And I'm saying that about Pierre Olsen, even though he's he's been banged up and hasn't done much here in the spring, he's been working with the trainers. The fact that they brought him in from the Cardinals makes me feel like, you know, they brought him in earlier in free agency, that he's going to get one of the four spots that I'm talking about which means there's two or three spots up for grabs on the back of the depth chart with all those other names that I just uh, I just mentioned. So is McIntosh a lock? I don't think he's a lock. I think he's got a, a nose ahead on, on those other guys. Why wouldn't he? He's been here before. He's young, came from a good program, uh, you know, in Miami, a large program. I think he certainly has the, the opportunity and has a leg up, but I don't think he's a lock. Anyway, um, all right, 201-939-4513. Matt, who's next on the show? Let's see. Jose. Jose, you're next on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Hello from Jersey City. Hey, how you doing, Paul? I'm good. How are you? 
I'm doing good. Um, my question was going to be about uh, Dave Gettleman, but I, that, just hearing you talk about how much depth we're we're looking at and who's sliding in and who's not sliding in, in and out. How is our secondary actually looking? I know the names are there, but you've been around football a very long time. I coach baseball, so it's all a team sport. Yeah. How are they looking together? Because individually, you can do but so much. We won't know that till we actually see these guys start playing preseason games, even even in practice. You know, you can only tell so much. Now, during these spring drills, which are basically flag football, you can yeah. even tell less. You know, because remember something. One of the things that, that the Giants want to be a hallmark of their secondary is is man coverage and particularly press and jam at the line. Yeah, you can't that, do that. Don't you have to have some type, uh, just in my opinion, communication as well. Correct? Well, sure you do. Sure you do. Well, but here's the thing. In practice, that's what I mean. Like visualizing how they're communicating. Because we can talk 50,000 members in the Hall of Fame and put them together. If they're not communicating, mm-hmm. they're, they're going to have absolutely sure. nothing going sure. right, right in your direction. Well, I'm going to answer your question in two ways. Number one okay. is, you know, Part of the whole communication process is, is kind of stunted because you're not allowed to play all the stuff you want to play. There's no contact. So right. like if a corner and a safety have to communicate as to who's going to pass off who, but who's going to do the jam, and then who's going to help you know fight the pick, so to speak, which is the rub route, that's something you can't do right now. Communication can help you deal with that, but that's not a situation you're allowed to run in practice. Because right. there's no contact. So what I'm saying is you can't really get the full picture until you get those totals. This is why I tell people all the time, I love preseason football. Because yeah, so it's I. my chance to start figuring out who belongs on this team. That, yep. to me, I, that's the best part of the summer. Well, that's when you see their conditioning, no their question. communication, yes. how they're interacting, the uh, you know, everything. I yes. get it. I love preseason as well. All right. Now, the second part to your answer is this. Um, we know, and we addressed this earlier in the program, how Landon Collins and, and Riley did not form a, a, a quality, productive safety combination in the middle of the field. Now, Collins, again, I'll say this. I said it yesterday. He's probably the best box safety the NFL's seen in at least a decade. But unfortunately, because... He did not have a partner back there who complimented him well or, quite frankly, who lined up the defense very well. It turned into a very dangerous Bermuda Triangle deep in the Giants' secondary. Yeah. So so here's the thing. If you heard earlier in the program, when I asked, or I was one of the guys, I asked Bethay about it, Antoine Bethay, and someone else asked Coach Shermer about it. And what we got from both of those guys is that Peppers and Bethay are communicating extremely well together because each of those guys has played both strong and free safety during their NFL careers. So they both understand what the other guy is seeing, what he knows, what he has to do, and how he has to relate to the other safety on the field. That should help them. Now, it won't automatically make it magical, 
because one guy's a 14-year pro and the other guy's a three-year pro. They're both coming off of different teams. But, of course, Bethay knows a little bit about what Betcher wants to do because he was with the Cardinals. With the, with the Cardinals, correct. So I guess my, my short version answer to part two of this whole equation that you've laid out for me is that the communication between those two guys seems to be much more on the upswing and a much more positive light than what the Giants had last year. And that in itself should improve the secondary. Of course, what that doesn't tell us, and we won't know until you know much later on in the summer, is how are those guys communicating with the rest of the defense, specifically the cornerbacks, who are young, okay, and young and inexperienced and are going to make mistakes. I don't know how long you've been watching the Giants, but remember Mark Haynes as a rookie? Yes. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh, you know, it's crazy. oh, that was uh, ugly. I'm glad you mentioned mistakes because when I, I, as I'm coaching and I, we get to practice, my first thing is I tell them all the time. I said, you know, what are we, what are we allowed to do today? And everybody turns around and is like, make mistakes, coach. Okay, and what do you do after that? Yeah, we got to learn from them, coach. I, and I explained to them, I said, if you watch, whether it be baseball, football, hockey, this way, that way, grown men make mistakes. Me, as a parent, I make mistakes. Sure. I said, but you have to understand that that's going to happen. And once you start understanding that, okay, the, you know, a mistake's going to happen, but at that time, what are you going to do with that? Are you going to continue being a child or are you going to grow? Learn from that. Now correct it, and then move forward. That's it. That's why I don't really – I'm not too fond of where people land as far as, like, draft picks and stuff like that. Tom Brady, I, you know, I hate spitting his name out, but I get it. But look where he's drafted. Look where he came out of. And then on top of that, he's at the top of the mountain right now. Sure. I appreciate it very much, man. Thanks for the call. You too, brother. We'll talk to you again soon. Uh, Alex Gordon hits us up on Twitter, says, listening to uh, Daniel Jones talk about learning from Eli, how do you think he will pick up a few notes from Eli's durability? Well, we all know how legendary Eli's durability has been. I would think that that Eli is also going to teach Daniel Jones about how to make sure you you take a hit. I mean, that's all part of it. Um, Eli Manning understood that when, when it was closing in on him and he was going to get crunched, he knew how to fold his body up properly so that he could absorb the blow with less damage. And I'm going to say this again for what? The 500,000th time? Eli Manning's durability is one of the assets and one of the points of greatness that, that he carries on his resume as he goes into the Hall of Fame. Reliability and durability is a big Big, big deal in this league, especially when you have so much money invested into a quarterback and it really hurts your salary cap when that quarterback who's making big bucks and a high percentage of your cap cannot play. That is a very, very bad and dangerous and painful situation for a team to have to deal with. So... You know, let, let's give credit where credit's due in, in Eli's case. And I do think that, that Daniel Jones will be taught certain things about how to take a hit from Eli. And oh, by the way, Daniel Jones is more athletic. He will move around more. I, get, I, I hope it's for escapability's sake as opposed to rushing forward 
Because those kinds of guys, no. I'm a pocket passer guy. Eli Manning's a pocket passer guy. Love it. Daniel Jones, pocket passer guy with escape ability. That's all cool. All right, let's go back to the phone lines. We go to uh, Jose. You're next on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Hello. Hey, Paulie. How are you today? I'm good, man. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I see you're flying solo there. That John abandoned you. That's all right. Hey, it, no, no problem <laughs> at all. He's got some stuff to do. Uh, you can handle it, man. Hey, so first of all, I haven't called you guys in a very long time. I hope you're all doing well. Yes, sir. Um, you too. Thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, Paulie, I just have a, a statement and just something that I want to ask real quick. Uh, the statement I heard you talk about McIntosh, and I'm going to go out on the limb here, and I'm going to say – uh, that I think he definitely will make the team. Okay. Uh, down here in Florida where I'm at, I've seen a lot of Miami Hurricanes games, and I know that his health was something he's had a whole year to rebuild. But one thing that you see, if you see tape on McIntosh, he has the ability to shoot gaps. Like, yeah. He has the ability to make himself skinny and put himself in areas to to make plays. And I'm not saying that he's going to win like two-on-one battles, but one-on-one in gaps. He's really good if you surround him with, like, two other good defensive linemen. He's definitely something that can put in work. So I think that's one thing I wanted to say about that. Well, he's a penetrator. And and I remember his last year with the Hurricanes, he had double digits in terms of tackles for losses because he was sleek enough and quick enough to be able to slice through to get into the backfield to nail guys behind the line of scrimmage. Now, the only thing is, pass rush-wise, he never had a lot of sacks. He might have had, what, about seven or eight total in his entire Hurricanes career. So he's never right. going to be considered a pass rusher, I don't think. But he is a penetrator against the run. The question becomes, if you're the Giants, now he's down to about 280. What's he, Matt, is he about 283 pounds, I think, they're listing him at? Let me see. Hold on a second before you do anything else. Let me look him up. Let me look him up. What are they putting him at right now? 64283 is what McIntosh is listed at on the current roster, which is actually down a little bit from, I think he was like 290, I think, when he came in originally as a rookie. So Mm -hmm. I'm thinking if, to me, he's not a defensive tackle anymore. Because when you look at the Giants' depth chart, you look at Tomlinson, who was more of a pure Mm -hmm. defensive tackle. Dexter Lawrence is obviously uh, in the 3-4. He's more of the plugger, the defensive tackle, you know, who's going to take up a double team. Right? Yep. So they got two guys like that who can do that. And if John Jenkins makes it, and I don't know that he will, he's also in that mold. So to me, McIntosh is more of a 3-4 defensive end, if you follow what I'm saying, because you'll probably play a lot of four- and five-man fronts with three down linemen. Right. And right. I think McIntosh plays more of the role of like what B.J. Hill does. He's more right. of the athletic penetrating type of defensive end in that style of alignment. And to me, if he can prove at this level that he can penetrate and get beyond the line of scrimmage and get through those creases you're talking about, that's his way to make the team. If he doesn't, I don't see how he can make it because he's not going to take on NFL double teams. Right. And you know what? And, and also, you got to think. Yes, Betcher does run that three-four, but he changes it around every now and mm-hmm. then. So I think a lot. I think he's he's somebody to bring. Yeah, absolutely. I think he's definitely. I honestly think he'll make the team. I'll be surprised if he doesn't. 
unless his, unless his production like completely drops. I think with a year to heal and him getting used to the system, using because he's he's very athletic. And yes, he's a little light, but I think he'll he'll work his way around that. But boy, I don't want to take too much time. Out. The reason why I was calling is uh, I've been hearing. I know I haven't been calling, but I've been hearing your shows, and you guys talked about the offensive line and, and how how better it's gotten. And I completely believe it with the players that we have in the in our secondary as well. I just want to caution some of our Giants fans, and you'll probably get calls maybe during the preseason of this. I can tell you from, again, I used to coach, and I still coach a little bit down here in South Florida, the cohesion of our offensive line is going to need some time to gel. And, you know, there's, there's going to be things like all these guys individually, they are very good players, but they're going to need to learn how to work with each other, especially the right side of the line with Jalapeno coming back. The same is said with the secondary. We have good veteran guys coming in there, but they got to learn their language and, and be comfortable with each other before we start seeing some extreme changes with the way we play. And then just I just want to caution our Giant fans out there to have a little patience and see what happens in the first couple of games. You see that we might be giving up points or there's some misassignments or some misreads. It's going to happen because they need a while to gel. And I think by, by week three or by week four, we'll be up and running. Well, I think that's why when I said on our uh, on our question that was posted on the Giants website, what what are the what's the toughest group of games on the Giants schedule? And and I didn't look at it from an opponent's perspective. I looked at it from the Giants' own perspective. When you look in the mirror, the first month of the season for the Giants is going to be tough because they're trying to feel their way and find out who they are. Right. And I you know, that's the that's the correct answer here. It's not about the opponents. It's about the Giants trying to, to figure out what their identity is. That's their toughest opponent right now because they're oh, trying yeah, to improve. So, yeah, so here's what I will say to you, though. Here, here's the one thing I want to I say that should give you a little bit of optimism. Last year, midway through the season, okay, when the Giants finally settled on what was their third center, which was uh, Spencer Pulley, right, 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 the week before the, the bye, and, and he played terrific for the rest of the season. And if you remember, right there at the bye week, they wound up picking up Jamon Brown off of waivers. And he wound up being inserted into the starting lineup. And the Giants' starting five offensive linemen, without any opportunity of an offseason or a chance to gel, defied the odds and actually played well as a five-man unit during the second half of the season. They didn't make any changes to those five guys. Solder, Hernandez, Pulley, Brown, and um, and uh, Wheeler. And, and yeah, I understand. Wheeler had some trouble with, with higher-level players. We get that. But it was clear that the Giants' offensive line was actually functional during the second half of the season, and they did that without any training camp or extended time to work with each other. So I do right, think a, I do think and, that and Zeitler and Remmers being longtime veterans in this league, I have a hunch that the Giants offensive line is going to come together a lot quicker than they than they really should. I think it's going to work out real well for them. The secondary is well, another situation though, because there's so many young guys back there. Right. But that'll be a pleasant surprise to me, Paul. And the reason why I say that is because what you mentioned towards the end of the year, yeah, we definitely saw an improvement in our offensive line. But you're looking at players that were on the team. They're just in different levels. Now, we're bringing the whole right side of the line. Well, Brown wasn't that, on the team. Remember, he was claimed in the middle of the year. He was, he was a total newcomer now. 
Jamon Brown. Jamon Brown. He yeah, started he at right guard. He came in from the outside. Mm-hmm. He wasn't. He wasn't on the team. He knew nothing about talking. the Giants when he got here, and and he the hit the ground thing, running. Right. And one thing that I am thinking about too is Remmers actually was with um, Shermer, Coach Shermer. As yes. Well. And also so with Coach Shula in Carolina. Yeah, he, he knows Shermer's offense in Minnesota, knows Shula's offense yeah. from Carolina, and actually said the reason he came here was, A, because he wanted to be a right tackle again, which Minnesota had moved him to right guard last year, and he believes right. that right tackle's his best spot. And the other thing was, he said, I know Coach, uh, Coach Shermer, what he does and how he runs an offense from being the OC in Minnesota, and this is the perfect offense for me. So I, I honestly got a feeling that the Giants' offensive line is not going to need as much time to gel as an offensive line might usually in these days and times of the NFL. I suspect right. they're going to come together pretty quickly. The secondary yeah. is where my biggest question mark is going to be because those yeah, guys are young and they're going to make mistakes. The question is, when will they make them? Will the other teams take advantage of those mistakes? And then will the Giants have enough offensively in situations where they're giving up mistake-filled points that the offense can overcome them? And, that's and the key right there, Paul. That's, that's it. That's the key right there. That's, that's it. That's the key. And I, I, I agree, and I think they need to go on sustained drives to understand that, you know, and when they – and I, I think when when they have opportunities to be in the green zone, like Tom used to say – Take advantage. Hey, we need to get seven instead of three. There you yeah, go. I think Could you hit the nose right on the head there. But hey, listen, I appreciate you taking my call. All right, sir. All the best of, uh, of health to you and your family. You too, now. Thanks again for everything. Enjoy right, the summer. Please call again. Again, this comes down to can the Giants' offense now control the tempo of these games? Can they dictate how often the defense is on the field? And can they make sure that the defense is not put in bad and dangerous positions on the field? Give them long fields. Give them long periods of rest on the sideline. Go into the fourth quarter and into the middle of the fourth quarter with more than a three-point lead, with more than a seven-point lead, so that these young defensive players are not walking a tightrope. That's the kind of thing that this Giants offense wants to be able to do. They want to be able to dictate enough so that they can create a safety cushion so that those youngsters on defense can have some time to learn and gel. This could be a much, much, not only better Giants team, but a much more fun team to watch. Because when your offense dictates a lot of things like that, it can be a real pleasure. 201-939-4513 is our number. We are here Monday to Friday, 12 p.m. Eastern time till 1 o'clock. Or catch us on hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter. I am at Giants WFAN. For John Schmelk, I'm Paul Dottino. We'll see you again next time.